Welcome, one and all. Uh, welcome to the Reset Show, episode number seven. The title of this week's show is The Future of Learning. Some brief introductions before we get our hands properly on our guests. We're joined, of course, uh, by Katie and Emma from People Lab and Belinda from Fathom XP. I'm Justin from Everyday Resilience. And today, for those of you that are old enough to remember actual vinyl records that you put on a record player, we have what uh, we're referring to as a double A side. I don't know if you remember when you used to have singles released, sometimes there'd be a double A side, which meant that there was no B side. Both songs were as good as each other. Our double A sides today is Ella Richardson and Bonnie Chook. Ella is a learning design director and Bonnie is a senior business and digital transformation leader amongst many other things, of course. Um, but those are the strap lines that we've chosen to go with today. I am going to hand over, as is our want, pass the baton to Emma to tell you a bit about the show, for those of you that are new to the show. Then we'll move on to Belinda, who will start the conversation proper. So over to you, Emma. Thank you, Justin. I'm delighted that you could all join us today. I'm really excited about today's episode. Um, about the future of learning, which is something that's close to all of our hearts. Um, as you know by now, the score with this is really the research show is about kind of getting like-minded people and, and brilliant guests and experts together to really figure out how we can make the most of this opportunity that we're faced with. The, the kind of the, the challenges of the pandemic also give us some opportunities to kind of really reset the way we do things and, and figure out how we can kind of make some changes for the best to help people thrive at work. And um, that's what we've been kind of talking about on each show and kind of generating some real themes coming out now, I think, which we'll, we'll go into a bit later on. Um, really excited about the, the session today and, and uh, B will go into a little bit more detail in a sec, but um, it was quite interesting, uh, a piece of research that came out just last week, I think, from the, the folks at PECON looking at employee engagement. And um, interestingly, we've seen during the kind of the, the, the pandemic crisis lockdown period, the engagement's gone up, which I suppose is probably isn't that much of a surprise because more people have been working at home, people have had flexibility, lots of companies have, well, I've been pleasantly surprised by the amount of companies who have kind of really raised their game when it comes to well-being. But interestingly, the one area called the PECON research that's dipped slightly is around growth, around the opportunity to have personal growth at work. Um, so just be great to dig into that a little bit later on, because I think that's a really interesting finding of how we kind of ensure we still have opportunities to grow, learn and develop at work, you know, through these kind of crazy, weird, changing times. So that was a really interesting finding for me. Um, I'm going to hand over to B now um, to introduce our guests and to start to ask some questions. I'm sure we'll have lots of questions, but over to you, B now. Yeah, just so lovely to bring Bonnie and Ella together. Um, Bonnie um, is, I've known Bonnie we were just, it's just for about 10 years when we started talking about digital transformation and, and really looking at this whole, we used to have lots of coffees and explore enterprise social and sort of collaborative technologies in the workplace and knowledge management. And um, I've been, Emma and I are delighted that Bonnie's actually contributed a piece looking at the future of learning um, to our new book on EX design, which is just touches on so many fascinating topics and discussions and yeah, um, we um, wanted to, to sort of explore that conversation a little bit more today and Ella I've been had the pleasure of getting to know a little bit over the summer and we've been doing some really interesting work together um, so 
as with Ella and Emma on the call, we have two psychologists and Bonnie is also a doctor as well. So we are in such good company for exploring this work. And Ella and Bonnie both have such fascinating backgrounds. I don't want to do the whole introductions to you because I'm going to pick out the bits that make most sense to me. But actually, I'm, really, I'm going to do something we don't usually do. I'm going to hand over to the two of you to give us a little bit of background about yourselves and what's brought you to where you are now in terms of the world of learning. Um, Bonnie, do you want to start just because I'm looking at you first? <laughs> Great. I mean, first of all, I'm very delighted to be here. So thanks for, thanks for having me. And uh, I'm on a learning journey myself, I have to say. And, uh, and so I'm sharing a lot of uh, half-baked ideas uh, today on this call and uh, feel free to really uh, challenge, build on, and uh, we learn together. So who am I? I'm very passionate about actually human beings and human sense making. And uh, when, when you talk about, you know, talk about engagement goes up and all this, I mean, in, during this COVID times, I think that's the, that's the right moment. So I'm really interested in human beings, how they make sense of the world, what are their needs, in order to design services and systems that really fit their hands. So, and, and part of this, it, it's about human sense making, it's actually learning, right? How do we help people to make sense of the world? And so I've been in the, uh, working in, I have to say throughout my career, it's always been about working in highly complex uh, matrix organization, global organization, trying to figure out how to make digital transformation happen. And typically when you want to, so-called transform uh, the way people do things digitally. It also means it's transforming the way, not just using the tools, but also how people work and the mindset and the behavior. So one way or another, I've been given all sorts of interesting titles from business and, and digital transformation leaders, sometimes change management, sometimes culture change, sometimes knowledge management, knowledge sharing, collaboration. And I figure out it doesn't really matter. Maybe they are all in one same bucket anyway. Uh, so um, just very recently this year, I have actually started um, um, to focus on an area called uh, building global capability for learning agility <laughs> and learning culture. So I'm, I'm currently within a large pharmaceutical company. And whatever I'm saying, I'm not speaking on behalf of the business, but more uh, my own uh, really uh, learning and reflection. But anyway, I've been given the task to figure out what do we mean by define learning agility? What does that actually mean? Uh, figure out how do we actually enable, empower our colleagues to continuously learn on the job? And then how do you do that for 75,000 people? So that's my <laughs> little, little bit about me. <laughs> nice to meet all of you. Thank you, Bonnie. Just lovely, just as you say, so fascinating and touches on and delves into so many really interesting, interesting and relevant areas. So thank you so much. Can't wait to start. Ella, you are nodding loads. Tell us a bit about yourself and then tell us what, tell us why you're nodding so enthusiastically. It was like, it's like listening to a mirror. <laughs> um, you know, I know Bonnie's got an, a really interesting background, but I know, I know we have a lot of interests that cross over, um, but probably come from very different perspectives, which will be really interesting. So um, I'm Leo's learning, Leo, uh, learning design director at an organization called Leo Learning um, and uh, there I look after a team of, of critical thinkers in learning and Leo is this uh, amazing collection of talented people who, who deliver and, and think about learning strategies and transformation um, for a huge variety of businesses so we get to see across the board and I think a really privileged to be able to do that. Um, so we analyze you know, how organizations work and grow and, and evolve and I think really at its core, you know, um, I and the organization are about helping me people to, to connect and to, 
and to share and to and fundamentally to learn in today's world um and that's you know how do we captivate and excite them to to really engage in in meaningful learning and i guess the 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 twist, if there is one, is that our, the expertise that is in the use of technology. So emerging technologies are, you know, look at us all on Zoom now, you know, they're affording us incredible powers. Um, and so everything that we do is about ensuring that we're harnessing technology to serve behavioral and, and cultural change in organizations. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm like this massive magpie for new technology um, and I, I it's funny because I almost never anticipated working with it so much. Um, you know, I, I think just thinking about what you were saying, Bonnie, you know, I, I studied psychology, I loved philosophy and linguistics and was always really interested in how children learn through play. Um, and, you know, I fell into the world of adult learning and actually it taps into all my interests about the human condition and technology and change. And so I think the exciting thing is we're, you know, we've got eternal problems. Um, that we're finding new ways to, to answer. Um, and we're also answering, you know, especially in this period, like we're answering new questions. And I guess this is the power of it. You know, this is this is the future of learning. It gives us, it gives us all that. So, I'm loving I, this. I'm, I'm now nodding. I'm now <laughs> nodding after Ella has shared her, her intro. Really, I think there's a lot of share really experience and, and really, you know, the, the love for the, for some of the common topics, digital, people. One thing I want to build on is that's something about talking about latest technologies, right? AI, right? It's such a, a buzz, buzz topic, right? AI data-driven approach. And I think that's something linked to learning as well. Uh, if you think about people talk about machine learning, right? And then we talk about human learning. When we talk about future of learning, how would these AI-driven machines and human beings actually learn together? What would that look like? I think we're at the early, early stage of even exploring this kind of uh, concepts, right? And that really blend human beings and human together. Mm, fascinating. Thank you. Uh, just, yeah, so, such rich thinking. I love it. So you sort of talked about how you've got to here and, and, and what you're interested in and what you, you know, what you're working at the moment. I'm interested to hear um, where, what you both think are the biggest trends or rather what you're seeing are the biggest trends right now? Because I guess there's a difference between what should be happening and, that, and then actually what you are seeing that actually is happening within organizations when it comes to um, how they're approaching learning. Ella, I'm gonna to come to you first. It's funny, you know, just thinking, just thinking AI is one of those things where, it, so I'm generally not like a massive fan of, of trends in learning because I think it can lead to the misapplication of technology. Um, and I think AI is one of those things. I mean, that's a whole, probably a whole, a whole session in itself. Um, but if there's, I think there's there's common needs that I've seen at the moment, and that's things like the need for human connection and and sensitivity. You know, um, a need to meet people where they are and and really not be generalist. Mm. Um, and I, I think probably flexibility and approach. I think someone said something earlier, and it's that you know, there's, there's a very little variety at the moment. Um, and actually, it's it's an understanding people's needs. But I guess on the organisation level, you know, I'm seeing an amplification in, in requirements. And, and there's some things that are quite distinct. And in learning, um, I guess, so the primary thing that we saw early on was, was a rapid shift of enhancing traditional corporate learning 
using technology so obviously that's like uh, high demand for virtual classroom you know which comes with a different set of skill sets and behaviors for facilitators and learners um, but also things like digital twin approaches um, you know we're seeing more of the atomization of learning like how do we make it more granular and accessible and searchable and lift it out um, and also in reducing waste you know I think a lot of organizations have seen an opportunity in 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 the period that we've been through um, but sorry back to the question so I think another I guess another trend is um is if I can call it that <laughs> is reskilling um you know the needs of businesses right now are changing massively um, as businesses are having to transform. And I think that we're seeing a greater need in, in being able to demonstrate the value of serving the business objectives. Um, and often, you know, that I think, you know, if we think about the, the futurist piece of that, it's, it's about using data to do that as well. Um, I guess I'd also say, I'm not sure if this is really a trend, um, but I think it's something that probably should be, <laughs> which I guess is 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 thinking about learning in the context of like uh, cultural or under technological transformation. Um, what I mean by that is I think I'm seeing a shift at the moment in organisations as they they're recognising uh, a need to change a learning culture. Um, as well as sometimes technology to enable the learning, the communication and change. And I'm kind of seeing that at the moment. Is it like you were saying, Bonnie, I think my thoughts are kind of emerging at the moment, <laughs> but we're, I'm seeing it as manifesting as requirements for platforms and technology, but actually what organisations are needing is more of a strategic analysis of uh, the requirements to deliver on a learning culture and then we can look for active for efficiencies is that something you're seeing you're feeling in in where you are i'm nodding i'm nodding here shall i let me let me build on what uh ella has been sharing so for me again i have to emphasize that i've been i'm i'm wired working in large complex multinational companies so that's my my experience so it's like i have to say you know it's a it's a partial view right of what the what the trends are but happy to, sh to share that I see one overall biggest trend is that uh, organizations now see the importance of continuous learning in the flow of work. And, um, it's, and, and this is about, and this is not just about airy fairy, nice to have, you know, nice things to do, right? We all love learning, but it's like, but it, this is about increasing performance, innovating, making sure that the workforce is future ready and really um, and creating new value for the customers. So I see that's the that's the overarching biggest trend. And then within this, I see maybe through the eyes of three personas, um, how do they see um, um, the, the learning is, um, uh, is changing? So number one is, I would say from the C-suite, the executive level, they are truly waking up to um, investing in learning and and that is because they actually recognize that things are changing so fast everything it's it's in flux 
and the only way to stay competitive it's really to continue to for the organization to be able to continue to adapt and adjust and learn and innovate right so so it's great that the c-suite they and they may not call it learning though you know um some some if you do a search on the internet you see some people call it learning agility able to to, to learn in an agile way others even call it with dropping the learning word they call it business agility right it's just how we can be a responsive we can be an adaptive organization so that's fascinating for me so the first persona second persona is and this is also a hat I, I wear as well as digital transformation leaders, right? There are so many, look around, all the companies are going through some kind of digital transformation, although they all mean different things. Anyway, but if you talk, talk, um, talk to the digital transformation leaders and also people maybe program managing some of this uh, digital initiative, you'll hear again, they are saying that we definitely need to enable my team to collaborate well, to learn, uh, and to really learn and collaborate well together. And what do they mean? Sometimes they talk about that means being agile, being adaptive. Uh, they may be specifically talking about some of the agile practices like running retrospective or after action review and uh, continuously reflect so that you can work even better as a team. So that's another group here, which actually truly believe that that is a need to learn. And, and I hear very often these leaders actually say either to myself or the team and saying that we really need to get these people to learn. They need to adapt fast. They need to, you know, change the way they have been working. Uh, they need to change fast. So that's almost an expectation there. It has to happen, right? Almost <laughs> from the top, right? That that's the demand there. And then the, the, the third persona group is the, the L&D leaders. I think Ella, you touched on that. Uh, they are also moving into a new space in terms of making uh, learning materials, training courses online, uh, trying to figure out what does that mean in this new virtual world, you know, some of the, the leadership training or leadership development program, which used to be done face to face in a classroom setting, how do I actually, uh, you know, transfer that experience and do it really, really well on online, and also some of the even more progressively progressive L&D leaders are thinking about uh, how do we actually go beyond just learning and training, uh, learning as training, and can learning go beyond training? And if so, what does that truly mean when we say learning in the flow of work? Mm. What can we do about it? Mm. <laughs> right, so I see these three trends, but all, all, but all of them when you add up, it's like, yes, there is renewed interest and commitment to learning in an organization context, which is great. Mm. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I, you know, I often think that in times of recession, what you often see is learning is like the hot potato that gets dropped first because it's a nice to have. But this has been really different. Like it feels different. There's, I think, you know, and I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the it's the technology where we are, where we're at. Um, but it feels certainly like a bit of a technological revolution in that. You know we are now set up to be able to communicate like this wouldn't have been possible any number of years ago and so actually we would have been in a very different place and so now that i think it's the coming together of you know learning um and serviced by the technology that is actually changing the perspective on on how learning can serve organizations and i, and I think to your point Bonnie, there's a there's a real opportunity there um for organizations to harness 
I think so. And I think that's an opportunity to push beyond as well, because on one hand, we can do everything we've been doing offline and just move it on Zoom and do it online like for like. But I don't think that is, I mean, that's a minimum foundation. And I see a lot of R&D colleagues are trying to do that. And I see that as uh, short-term tactics, which is good, right? At least you're making the move. You are willing to unlearn and try something different. Uh, to push the boundary, I wonder whether there is more that can be done to almost like create new kind of experience, which perhaps we cannot, may not even be able to do in the past, right? So truly leverage technology, but use that to rethink how could we really get to the, inject that human touch, yeah. even in a, in a virtual environment. So I was just conducting a workshop yesterday talking about how do we be remotely human? <laughs> recognizing we are we are remote right and also the other thing is it is physical distancing it's not social it's not actually social distancing people we are you know we are social animals no no matter whether we meet face to face or online so it's like how do we keep that human touch while we are doing things while we are you know empowering people to learn online so i think a lot to think about don't have mm. all the answers and that's the foundation, I think, actually, of some of the work that B and I have been looking at together. Um, you know, I, I keep getting kind of variations on the form of a question that is something like, um, how do we achieve the richness of face-to-face -face using technology? And my answer is kind of, we're asking the wrong question. You know, we're never going to be able to do that, but we can help people to connect in new ways and actually achieve something rich, but in a different way. Um, Just for an example, right? So uh, somebody asked me, how do I create this serendipity access to colleagues when I bump into people, you know, at the corridor or the, so what we, what we did was something very simple. So we used the Zoom, like what we're doing now, and we have breakout rooms, right? And then, but you, you don't have free flow. We have a five minute breakout session where you mix and match people and let them talk about a topic, right? And then within that five minutes, people actually come back and I ask them, how do you feel after five minutes? I said, oh, that is really like, you know, you are, you create the opportunity, those serendipity moments and mm. people still can connect and mix and talk about things that they have not planned to talk about, but it needs to be put into the design. It won't happen. Mm. Yeah, it has to be designed. Yeah. Yeah, actually uh, we were talking about this uh, as a team the other day and we said it used to be ice creams and coffee. <laughs> Those were the, the catalysts for serendipitous moments, um, you know, casual conversations. And now we need to create ice creams and coffee. <laughs> yeah. Virtual ice cream and coffee, right? In a new way. Yeah. It's, uh, it reminds me of the, the research that they did at, in, in Pixar in the studios that they, they realized in the design of the layout um the importance of these serendipitous moments and so you, you're nodding Ella as well so you know the, the whole design and layout of their studios is it forces people constantly I mean not now obviously at the moment but when they're in the same building constantly to have those meeting points because they recognized as as a business that that is where generally all of the magic happens is in those half half conversations accidental serendipitous opportunities and uh, that is a real challenge. Uh, how do you still yeah. enable that to happen when people are, are physically? I can give you an example. I think it can be orchestrated. So mm. what I have been experimenting with in my organization is that we create something called learning out loud circles. And, and what does that mean? It's actually about uh, bringing 
people, um, four to five people together. They do not know one another. They are from different business areas. So you, you, one person can be from operations, one from sales, one from R&D. And they are grouped together. Think about it's kind of a Tinder-like. <laughs> so people register and say, hey, I want to join Learning Out Loud Circle. It's like, yes, okay, good. We match you. And then we just then send them an invite. We say, congratulations, you know, four or five of you. Now you're in a group. In the next four weeks, every week for one hour, you're going to pick a topic that four or five of you have, you know, have a share common goal, whatever it is, you decide it's self-directed learning, right? Learning in the flow of work. And then every week they meet for one hour. And after four weeks, you can decide. We don't want to make it a drag and a chore that people feel they have to commit to forever. But as a taster, these people actually manage and they come the back and tell us the feedback is, is like, yes, we have orchestrated some serendipity Some access. brief they say introductions. It's even better than in the normal face-to-face -face world, because even in that world, they've never had the opportunity to work across mm. so far away, right, with people from another set area. So kind of an innovation as we try out new things and, mm. and people end up connecting and, and, and collaborating and working on some new build on the innovative ideas. So that's a very specific example that we have uh, we have been experimenting. To riff off that, I loved I love that, Bonnie. And actually, Justin, what you were saying about kind of building design, you know, I I I've always been interested in architecture and how that and how the things around us influence the way we think, feel, and behave. Um, and it's just something, you know, we're again at this kind of vanguard moment where I think, you know, how we live and work is so being influenced by the places around us. And, mm -hmm. you know, whilst we're, I think a lot about technology, it's also about, you know, we, we kind of have like, we still have this kind of battery farm approach to, to offices, or we have, you know, in many offices, that I think have started to, it started to shift over time, but this is probably going to give us a really good kick up the butt if I can say it like that and thinking about what's really needed in organizations to actually deliver on their objectives both from the you know from the behavioral psychological but also the physical um, and actually how does that you know how do people's physical we tend to think of learning as and, and performance is entirely psychological and 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 like um, independent in a way but actually, how is the how are the is the environment servicing that um, is something that I think is really interesting, and again, is something that we're just at this moment where we need to start reconsidering what that means for us. Yeah, I mean, and to add to that, I think I mean, loving the conversation and, and so many thoughts coming into my head. I'm just trying to kind of articulate them in a in a clear yeah. way, which probably won't happen. But anyway, um, just thinking about the experience of working in this new way for those of us who are working in this new way and there are lots of people that aren't of course um you know I, I know from our point of view we've been very pleasantly surprised actually at how well it has worked I think um <clears throat> I think before the crisis you know online learning to some extent was seen as the poor relation to face-to-face -face. me being an extrovert I'm like you know I want to get in a room with people and what we've seen is that it's kind of given a voice to those people that didn't really, no matter how good you are at facilitating, right? You get in a room full of, you know, people, they'll be extroverts. It's easy to hide if you're more of an introvert or, you know, omnivert, whatever. And what we've seen is that that social connection piece, we've been blown away by that. You know, we've had people, um, I won't name any names, but I've had people I've been working with who said that they had no idea that someone in their team had kids. And you said, well, how could you not have known that? But they didn't, that was their reality. And it's, 
it's kind of enabled us to get, I think in many ways, get much closer. I, I you know, I'm wearing a, a woolly jumper today. Normally in corporate world, I put on my, not a suit, but I smart and I wouldn't kind of be being 50 as I was last week. You know, I had a very kind of clear definition between work Emma and home Emma. And I, and I like that. And I'm kind of getting much more comfortable with being a bit more authentic. And I tell the story about when my, my 12 year old kind of appeared when I was doing a, a, you know, a 50 person webinar at start to Starbucks and it was okay and no one minded. And that sort of acceptance of, you know, we are human beings going back to the human connection piece, I think is a really, um, it's a real kind of sort of pleasant surprise that we need to keep hold of as we move through this, that we are kind of getting a little bit more real and human and honest. And I know if you're going to kind of, you know, the millennials and Gen Z, they go, well, I've always been myself at work, but I think for a lot of us, we have kind of put on a bit of a work persona and with that, the, the walls are coming down and the lines being blurred, which I think is really, really exciting and um going back to the kind of the, the whole you know kind of learning you know on the job in the moment i think something that i'd really like to pick up with you both is that sort of um that psychological safety piece that personal mindset piece around you know we all do lots of kind of formal learning informal learning actually learning sex coaching all the different types of learning that we, we do at work but ultimately you always get those people who are like I don't feel psychologically safe enough to admit that I don't know stuff. Therefore, I'm going to fold my arms and say, well, I've done this before. I don't need this. And in many ways, when we, we are involved in any kind of learning intervention, you know, you, you're pushing on an open door with those people like all of us that go, I want to learn. I'm curious. Tell me more. There's those people who are like, you know, and I think from my experience going through the last few months, it's almost given people permission to go. This is completely, sorry, I'm going to say unprecedented none of us know what we're doing it's okay not to know and i i've noticed that people are going at last i can breathe a sigh of relief and i can put my hand up and go i need some help and that's one of the kind of the benefits that i've seen i just wondered if you had a view on on that at all i <laughs> it's just it's i'm just thinking through all the all the things that colleagues are experiencing uh throughout this period yeah suddenly work has it's almost like work has changed as well. It's not just the, the tools. It's like how we define work has actually changed. I think it forced us, and I don't mean just us here, but the leaders, people at all different levels to be, to be more human at work. And, it's, and it's, it's not just about kids jumping, you know, up, up and down in the, you know, at, at, uh, at the teleconference, but it's also about truly know, knowing that things are so uncertain and so much in flux. You have a lot more empathy, a lot more hopefully humility as well, and more caring for one another. So I think that is the, I think that is the biggest change is about changing, mm. in, almost like changing in the nature of work. And I think that has huge implication on what does that mean by learning or empowering people to learn in this new world mm -hmm. and and my thinking is like emerging thinking is in the past we assume work is very stable it's very organized work is about knowing what needs to happen minimize risk getting things done correctly and if we take this world view then learning it's all about helping you to be correct to do things better, more efficiently. And then this world is now turned upside down to Emma's, your point is, but when we don't know the answer, how do you, 
how do you empower people to learn? Do I still teach you assuming that I'm the expert and I know it all? Even if I'm the manager, do I know exactly how I should take care of myself or my team? He or she is probably still figuring that out. So in this kind of new world, how do, I think there's an opportunity to reset and rethink mm. what should R&D, you know, functions or HR be thinking about if you're in the, or anyone in the learning space, what, what should you be thinking about? How do you actually empower people to learn in an uncertain world? And I think it requires totally different type of work practices. And mm -hmm. that include self-reflection, self-awareness, time to pause and look around and, and reach out to a diverse group of people with diversity of viewpoints and being able to collaborate and make sense of things together, being able to, I think somebody talked about, being able to show your vulnerability that I actually do not know. And can we debate and discuss knowing that we can co collectively find the answers? I think these are all the practices which maybe traditionally uh, learning experience is not designed in that way. Learning experience somehow, I think we have a paradox here. We, are, we have been trained to empower people by telling people what's the right thing to do. And now I'm actually designing and experimenting some of my learning experience program. And this is about actually the first thing I put in front of people and I say, disrupt it. Tell me what is not right for you. And I, when I share with some of my L&D friends, they say, you sure you want to do that? You know, you don't want to design your whole curated program and you tell people that, you know, challenge it. Haven't you thought about it? I say, yeah, I thought about it as much as I have, but I would like to put it there. And does it make sense to you? Tell me what you disagree with. Does it resonate? Can it be better? All right, can you challenge Can you challenge me? So I'm quite enjoying that part, but I know it's a little bit disruptive. Ella. I'd add to that, you know, like I think the interesting thing about the concept of psychological safety is it's like with the blend of work and home for many people not everyone but for a lot of people you know that is something that is it's hard to distinguish and like you're saying bonnie you know like there are some you know a lot of people in organizations are really struggling right now and it's and it's a lot of people don't have it easy and it can be quite hard to separate the two and i've i've been thinking about this is it's fundamentally altered the importance of and the actual concepts of things like work but also home you know my home has also become my jail cell a really lovely jail cell but it's a jail cell you know of of family and you know how you relate and, and even of safety like what does it mean to be safe you know it's, we've had to kind of relearn all of these social behaviors and continuously do as as pubs shut and you know restrictions change um you know we've what we've done i think has been propelled forward you know in probably five to 10 years in terms of changes. And actually like to your point, I mean, it's, it's thinking, it's, it's making sure that we are thinking about and supporting people through that because, you know, whilst they're on the one hand, we've talked about lots of the opportunities, um, you know, and there are benefits for individuals, there's benefits to the environment, um, you know, a lot of that stuff shifting. It's also very difficult still for a lot of people um and actually you know again it's that physical digital 
piece you know I like you I kind of I love what's changed I almost think it's like it's a lack of professionalism in the best kind of way you know that humanity everyone's almost become more intensely human um you know we're in our own spaces we're not dressed up in our power suits sat in a church-like atrium you know um and you know walking up to a boardroom um but actually you know it's it's the human connections in that and building those and reminding everyone to think about those and thinking you know person first Mm. um that we can actually enhance that connectedness and and I think improve you know create a better future really because it will mean that access to learning can and should be democratic diversity can flourish you know and people's resilience can can evolve and grow um, you know, I know you, you have um, lots of thoughts about knowledge, Bonnie, and I think part of this is it's about learning being less about knowledge and skills, but about capability um, and, and growing, you know, that resilience in, in people as part of organisations. I love that. And I like your word about remind as well, because I think that's something we take it for granted and we're now resetting the protocol. When, when you say remind, I, and I, I mean reminding as a leader or someone, a subject matter expert, you actually remind people in these kind of virtual calls that they can speak up, they can be yourself. And we actually remind people, um, our colleagues, that if you have whatever circumstances you're facing that day, if you're at the beginning of the call, say so, right? So you may have a challenge or you may have issue or you may have kids running around or you may feel you have got up at 6 a.m. for another teleconference and you're still in your pajama and you are you don't want to you know um, have your video on we are constantly reminding ourselves and and one another to take care of one another it's like it giving people the permission to be themselves and I think mm. those are little things right little cues but it does require particular people in power to repeatedly say so otherwise you're still a little bit worried right talking about psychological safety it's like is that right right am i right to say i'm not i'm not good enough today <laughs> right you can yeah so there are things that we can actually help colleagues to practice i call these micro moment work practices little things that people can do can drop into anything that they're doing when they are connecting and collaborating with colleagues Bonnie and Elad, thank you so much. I've just looked at the clock and uh, it tells me it's, uh, I can't believe the time is going so quickly. We had a, a question earlier from Laura, which we haven't had a chance to ask yet. Um, I'd like to share it with you. I'll read it out. What do they mean by the richness? I think this was you, Ella, when you were talking about people, um, the, the richness of the live experience. and. Laura's wondering if we could drill down into this a little bit when you speak with managers because they're often limited in their thoughts and it's our role to guide their thinking into new ways. What comments have, uh, let's start with you Ella first and then move, move on to Bonnie before we, before we have to sadly wrap up. Uh, yeah, so when we say the richness, I mean, I think it's kind of some of the things that we've been talking about. I think where that question comes from is, how do we how do we recreate the humanity in the experiences that we had and actually you know one of the tensions that we've always seen in learning between you know face-to-face learning like in workshops was seen as the 
opposite to digital, which yeah. just always, I always found completely strange anathema. But you know, that's that it's kind of almost amplified that, and you know, and and we we're seeing them as opposing. When I think what we're saying is is actually how do you it's how do you build human connection through connectedness and and using technology in new ways. Um, the you know the richness of a learning experience comes from you know getting support being motivated working with others and I think that that color and the context is really really important and that's the kind of thing that I think is what I'm tending to see that people are, are meaning when they're asking about and, and looking to create richness it's about mm -hmm. understanding where people are what they need to do um, and the support that they need at that moment to to enable that um, rather than having you know a one-size-fits-all which typically in a in a person-to-person -person, I call it in person now because we're in person right yeah. <laughs> we're not physically in person but we're in person you have that ability to to flex and adapt um, that typically um, I think organizations perceived that you didn't have as much flexibility with traditional kind of digital learning methods um, so I think that's a big part of it as well. Lovely, thank you. What about you, Bonnie? I'll, I'll add to that from my, this is drawing on my um, experience and um, how I've been applying uh, Durbin's sense-making methodology uh, to think about how we can actually create that kind of humanness, mm. uh, uh, whether you're designing learning experience or actually any, any solution. I think that's one thing about, you actually need to be equal. <laughs> Because sometimes when we when we say you know okay let's let's inject some more humanness but are you equal right are you do you think I am better than this person and therefore I'm going to change you I'm going to transform you I'm going to make you better I think if we start with actually I always remind myself it's like if I lower my ego mm. and and treat one another as equal living breathing human beings. And that would mean that, to Alice's point, that would mean you truly understand the need of the person. What, what are the joys, pains, dreams of that person? What are the obligations? What does that person really need to do? What, what are the challenges? And you, you then have truly open dialogue to, to look at what is helping you, what's not helping you. How might I actually help you to build a bridge to make it better? And I think when you come out from the conversation, both sides actually learn something and has been transformed. And I see for me, that is the richness mm -hmm. in terms of bringing that humanness. And I challenge myself and other learning professionals, uh, do we actually consider ourselves as equal? Do we actually open up that space to allow that equal dialogue to happen and therefore truly serving the needs? And like I, what I said earlier, when you come out from that learning experience, have I changed as well as a learning person? Or am I, an, or am I there to download and spoon feed and push things down your throat or whatever you call it? Yeah, <laughs> summarize it as meaning making. Yeah, sense making. And that's why I say it's a sense making methodology, which I've been practicing for the past 20 plus years. And uh, it's a never ending journey because it is you can apply in any context mm. as long as treat one another as human beings. But sometimes 
we say we pay lip service. We say, yes, we treat one another as human beings, but how? And then you look at all the practices that you actually do. You actually position yourself as higher. You're better than others. You tell people what to do. And then you, you say, oh, I'm treating people as human beings. Bonnie and Ella, what what a rich conversation! I'm I have to be the bad guy and uh, and drag it to a close. But what a lovely, lovely place to finish on being human, and treating others with with humanity and respect. Um, and I love the challenge as well. I'm I'm sure all of us are are in sort of questioning ourselves on that as well as yeah, mm, okay. Mm accountability, self-accountability conversation booked in following this call. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you to our double A side guests. Thank you to my fellow hosts. Thank you to our guests who've joined us for this live recording. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, please next time, why not sign up and join the call? You might actually get to uh, put a, a question to the, uh, the special guests. Next week, episode seven, we have Jeff MacDonald, a keynote speaker, consultant, mental health campaigner, and he'll be talking about what it means when organizations truly make well-being a strategy. So to carry on our theme from today, when they actually walk it like they talk it, they really put this theory into practice and hold themselves to account on that. So without further ado, thank you from the four of us to all of you go well. We look forward to carrying on this conversation uh, at some point in the future. Thanks, folks. Take care. Bye for now. Thanks.